Well, good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to Ezra chapter 7. While you're doing that, I just want to say that we are glad that you are here today to worship the Lord and learn from His Word. My name is Adam. I'm one of the elders here, and it's my privilege to be able to bring some good news to you today from Ezra 7. Today we finally get to meet Ezra, the person for which the book is named. So please turn your Bibles to Ezra 7 or follow along with me on the screens behind me. Please stand as we read the word of the Lord together. Just respect that's given to the flag when the anthem is sang or when a dignitary passes by, we stand when we read the Bible together corporately as a reminder of the even greater honor and respect that God's word is due. So Ezra chapter 7, we're going to read the whole chapter. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marioth, son of Zariah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, and the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and the gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra has set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. The letter reads this, Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, peace. And now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand, and also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylon, with the freewill offerings of the people and the priests vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money, then, you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And I, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree to all the treasures in the province, treasurers in the province beyond the river, whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence, up to a hundred talents of silver, 
a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much, all the salt that you could want. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of the house of God. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the peoples in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God, and those who do not know them you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that's in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for your spirit. We ask today that your spirit would be working in our midst. We ask that you would give us soft hearts, that you would give us ears to hear, and minds to understand what your word is telling us today. We ask your blessing upon our time now. In Christ's name, amen. I've tried to live my life the best that I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes I've earned what all of you have done for me. Tell me I've led a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. These are the closing words to the 1998 film Saving Private Ryan, which is set in 1944 in France during World War II. It follows a group of soldiers led by Captain John Miller on their mission to locate Private James Francis Ryan and bring him home safely after his three brothers were killed in action. He was the only surviving male in the family and thus was able to go home. It's a sobering film about the harshness and the realities of war. One of the unique things about the movie, however, is that the main character, Private Ryan, is noticeably absent from the film for most of the movie. As a matter of fact, it's almost two hours into the three-hour film that we see his character for the first time. And this absence might initially puzzle us, but as we reflect on the bigger picture, we realize that the story truly wasn't about Private Ryan himself, but rather about the lives that were touched and transformed by his presence. Similarly, in the book of Ezra, we find an account that may seem initially centered on a returning exiled people, rebuilding a city and reconstructing their lives. It is not until the seventh chapter that we are introduced to the figure who would play a pivotal role in that restoration, Ezra himself. So like Private Ryan, Ezra's delayed entrance serves to highlight that sometimes the most significant players in a story are those whose arrival we least expect. This really begins part two of Ezra, even though there are ten chapters. This really is the beginning of the second section of the book, Ezra chapters seven through ten. We started the book with King Cyrus of Persia, 
around 539 B.C., he sends out his first wave of exiles to be released from Babylon and sends them back to Jerusalem. We then move to Darius, and under his reign, he gave the orders for the temple to be completed. That's where we left off last week. The next major king was Ahasuerus, also called Xerxes. Then following him was the king Artaxerxes. That's where we are today. We've gone from about 539 at the beginning of the book to 458 here. And a lot of time has passed in the biblical narrative since Ryan preached last week. There's about a 57-year gap between chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Ezra. During this gap is when the book of Esther takes place, which is where you can read about King Ahasuerus. So if you've been following along in the greater historical narrative of Scripture, this would be a good week to go back and read the book of Esther. So let's start with the last part of the chapter here, the letter that the king wrote and sent Ezra and Ezra's response. The king's letter is from verses 11 through 25. You can see what the king's doing here. This was the general policy in Persia, and it was a very generous policy. They thought that instead of really brutalizing the people under their reign, they thought, let's give them some freedom. And in fact, let's give them resources they need to rebuild their temple and to worship their God. It's not that anyone in Persia really believed in the God of Israel, but they thought, well, there's lots of gods out there, and it's been a great deal. There's lots of gods out there, and it's better to have our backs covered. So let's, let's make sure that these people can worship the God they serve and do it the way they want so that they will be happy and they'll be good subjects. And who knows? Maybe they'll pray to their God, and they'll obey their God, and He'll deal well with them and their land, and they'll prosper, and that will ultimately help us. Happy people pay their taxes and make good citizens. Happy people are easy to rule over, and they benefit all of society. So that's really the motivation here. So that's why he's sending Ezra, and he's giving them all these resources. Make sure you buy yourselves offerings. Make sure you get your sacrifices. And if you got some left over, knock yourself out. Take care of yourselves is what the king's saying. And then here in verse 27 is Ezra's response to the letter. He says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such things as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that's in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage. For the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go with me. Ezra recognizes here that Proverbs 21.1 is true. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is like the streams of water in the Lord's hand. Daniel 2, verses 20 through 21 says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Ultimately, God was directing the king and working here. And Ezra had full confidence that God's hand was all over the situation. Ezra knows that it's because of God's mercy that he has prospered and he praises God for it. Because Ezra had faith in the Lord, he had courage to go to Israel and to teach them the word. And let this be a reminder to us. God works 
and is working in the nations of the world. And it's oftentimes through pagan kings that don't even worship him. The kings of the nations are under the footstool of the king. And if you're anxious today about what's going on in the world, remember Ezra 7. Remember that God can and does use pagan kings for his purpose, even though that they don't even know it. Folks, the nations of the world have been a mess for a long, long time. We sing a song here called The Ancient of Days, and the first line of the song says this, though the nations rage, kingdoms rise and fall, there is still one king reigning over all. And we sing that song here at Eve Free because it's a comforting truth. Take refuge and comfort that nothing going on in the world right now is outside of the sovereign hand of God. Okay, so now that we got a good understanding of what's going on in the story here and why we're at the, why we were, and where we are at in the timeline and why a pagan king would even do what he did here, let's go back to the beginning of the chapter and start to draw out some things that God is reminding us here in Ezra 7. So let's go back to the beginning of the chapter. Verses 1 through 5, we get this abbreviated genealogy of Ezra. And the main purpose here of this genealogy is to show what it says in verse 5. Son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief high priest. It's telling us that Ezra just isn't a normal run-of-the-mill Israelite. This guy comes from the priesthood. It gives us this genealogy to get our attention. Ezra comes from somebody. Why were priests important? Well, I'm glad you asked. Israel was taught that a priest was absolutely necessary in their relationship with God. The priest was a, a go-between or an intercessor between man and God. Such a person was necessary because of the holiness of God. Holiness means that God is totally separate from fallen man, and in a real sense, he's unapproachable. And for this reason, God ordained that certain men who were ritually cleansed in a special way and who came from a certain tribe should approach him on behalf of the people. These men were chosen by God for the office. They would give sacrifices to God, which would symbolically atone or pay for people's sins. Ezra came from this line of men. But then we get to verse 6. It says that Ezra went up from Babylon. This is a little unexpected here. Ezra's coming from a pagan land. He isn't with the Israelite remnant that's already made the trip to go to Jerusalem. He's a guy that they left back with the pagans in Babylon. The question would be, where has Ezra been all this time? Does he know about the needs that they have back home? Why was he not part of the first group that left? We read in chapter 1 of Ezra, verse 5, that the Spirit of the Lord stirred up those who returned, that it was among those who, that was among the most spiritually alert and sensitive. Those are the ones who enlisted. Those, those were who were a part of the cause. In other words, Ezra's a descendant of those who stayed back in Babylon. He's a descendant of those who were comfortable in Babylon, of those who didn't want to endure the hardships, of those who weren't willing to brave the discouragements that would come with the first group that went back. He's not a descendant 
of those who were among the truly committed. I couldn't help but think that God oftentimes uses unexpected people from unexpected places. It's, it's all over Scripture. I mean, think about what people said about Jesus when He started His ministry. Does anything good come from Nazareth? Think about the women in Jesus' genealogy, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. They're all unexpected people. Think about the disciples who Jesus had. They were fishermen from Galilee. They were unexpected people from unexpected places. Think about Paul. He was a Jew that hated and killed Christians, but then became a pillar of an apostle in the New Testament and wrote much of it. It also got me thinking about E. Free in Fremont, Nebraska. It's kind of an unexpected place with all kinds of unexpected people here. How is God going to use you? How is God going to use us here in the middle of flyover country? God has a pattern in history of using the unexpected for His purpose, so don't be surprised when God calls us out for use in His kingdom. We, we do get to see why Ezra was used by God as we read farther into verse 6. He was a scribe. He was skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. Let's stop here for a moment. Ezra was a scribe. If you're like me, you probably don't have a great view on scribes. I immediately thought about what Jesus had to say about them in Matthew 23, verses 13 through 15. Jesus said, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Oof. I don't know about you, but it appears that from Matthew 23 that Jesus didn't like scribes. Those people in Matthew 23 that Jesus said seven times, woe to you, curse you, you are damned, is basically what Jesus was saying to them. He had bad things to say about scribes and Pharisees because they were religious hypocrites. He spoke in the harshest of language to these scribes. So when we think of scribes, we kind of think of those guys like in Return of the Jedi with the long robes, the, the imperial guard. The scribes are kind of like those people. We kind of tend to think of them as nasty bad guys. Well, scribes could be that, but they weren't supposed to be that, and they weren't always that. Ezra was a scribe, but he was a good scribe. Good scribes knew God's word well, and good scribes let it impact their hearts. And in Ezra's case, he probably had some kind of administrative position in the Persian Empire. He was likely a secretary. He wrote stuff down. They didn't have copy machines back then. They didn't have electronic records management. They didn't have the cloud. Ezra was the cloud. He was kind of like your Google Drive. He wrote stuff down. He kept record of things. That's what he did. And you got to remember that very few people could read and write back then. 
Scribes had abilities that almost no one else in the kingdom had. So they were recorders, they were secretaries, they were scholars, they were basically the, the PhDs of the day. And because of this, they had all kinds of abilities and privileges. They wielded a lot of political influence. You also see in verse 6 that he was a, a gifted scribe. Uh, verse 6, it says he's called a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. Look at verse 11. He's a man learned in the matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. In verse 12, it says he's a scribe of the law of God of heaven. It says the same thing in verse 21. Look at verse 10. This is the, this is the best here. It says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. When we see the law of Moses or the law of the Lord in this passage, what it's really talking about is basically the Bible, the, the Word of God. Ezra was a man that studied and knew God's Word. So Ezra was pretty much an expert in God's Word, and because of that, he's given a lot of authority to teach it so people would obey it. This was a man whose expertise and whose passion was the Word of God. He loved to study it. He longed to learn it. He longed to understand it and to teach it. This was by all appearances the consuming work of his life. He was a scribe whose heart desired above all else to be a man of the book. What's your desire, Christian? Do you desire to be a man or a woman of the book? Do you desire to know the Word of God, thus knowing God better? Do you treasure God's Word? The Bible says that where your treasure is, your heart is also. We see in Ezra a man who treasured the Word. Look at verse 14. Ezra's given a lot of authority. The king says, You're sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God. So they're going to find out whether the people are obedient to the law. And then we see he's given authority. Whatever the priest, Ezra the priest described within the law of God of heaven requires of you, let it be done. Verse 25 and 26, he's given great authority to set up magistrates and judges, and whoever does not obey the, the law can face a judgment of execution or banishment or a fine or imprisonment. He was given a great deal of authority not to just teach people, but to teach them to obey. Don't forget that part of the Great Commission. Jesus says, go into all the world, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. That's not somehow a sub-gospel part of the Great Commission. We're not just teachers. It's not just churches, and preaching isn't just a lecture. We preach and teach people to the end that they obey, that they worship God, that they hear the call of God in their lives, and they, that they submit themselves to Jesus. So even here this morning, some of you may need to hear that call, the call to turn from your sin and run to Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you can know Him today. If you're here today and you know Jesus, obey what He says. Week after week, you hear it over and over again from whoever is in this pulpit. Run to Jesus and obey His Word. Our study through the book of Ezra 
isn't so that everyone in here can learn a little bit more about the Persian Empire or about scribes or about Israel. We study God's Word through books like Ezra so we can hear the call of God on our lives to obey Him, so that we can worship the Lord, so that we can be followers of Christ. God didn't just give us His Word so that we can be educated. He gave us His Word so that we can know Him and obey Him. Another thing we see in this chapter is that we need the favor of God. It couldn't be any clearer in this passage. Look at all these examples. Verse 6, the king granted Ezra all that he had asked for the hand of the Lord was on him. It says the hand of the Lord. It doesn't say that Ezra had a lucky break. It doesn't say that Ezra won the lottery or that Ezra got the extra special fortune cookie. It says the hand of the Lord was on him. Verse 9, for the good hand of his God was on him. Verse 25, go and speak according to the wisdom of God that is in your hand. Verse 27, Ezra praises that God has put such a thing into the heart of the king. This hasn't come by accident. Verse 28, again, at the very end, I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. So we see here that Ezra had the hand of the Lord on his life. In this passage, God hand, God's hand is leading and guiding and encouraging and protecting and giving Ezra courage. What a blessing it is to experience all of those things. Everyone wants to say that they have the hand of God in their life. We all want that blessing from God. We all want to know that God loves us and is watching over us and cares for us. We all desire to see God working in our lives. Let me let you in on a little secret. If you're a believer here today, you already have God working in your life, and His good hand is on your life. There's one more thing here that I want to talk about before we finish up. I don't know how you feel when you read a chapter like this in the Bible about a guy that seemed to have it all together. But I'm going to be honest with you, it doesn't always make me feel that great. You see, I could sit up here and tell you to be like Ezra, study God's word, obey God's command, and you will flourish. And that's true. If you study God's word, if you obey his commands, you will flourish. And it's true, God's commands are good. They point us to what righteousness looks like like in the life of the believer. God's commands are worthy to be followed, and we should strive to be, be people who obey God's laws. It leads to God being glorified. It leads to peace and prosperity in our cities. It shows the world what righteousness looks like. It leads to the flourishment of His church and ultimately the flourishment of all people, believer and unbeliever. But if all I did was to tell you to be like Ezra and follow God's command and study God's word, I would only be telling you half the story, and it definitely wouldn't be good news. You know why it wouldn't be good news? Because ultimately, you will fail. You see, why the law of God is good, it isn't good news to the sinner. God's good law shows us that we aren't good, 
that we aren't righteous. We don't have it all together. We won't be like Ezra. We won't study God's word like we should, and we won't obey God like we should. And frankly, none of us in here can do it on our own. I don't obey God like I should. Ryan doesn't. Jim doesn't. Steve doesn't. And this may come as a surprise to you, but even Larry doesn't. (laughs) No one in this room does. No one in this city does. No one in the world does. We all fall flat on our faces when it comes to obeying God. And the reality is, is even as good as Ezra was, as much as he had it all together, and as much as he obeyed the scriptures, he wasn't good enough. Ezra ultimately was a lawbreaker, just like you and me. Take a look at Ezra 7.26 with me. This is the weight of God's law on all of us. Ezra 7.26, whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him. This is what we deserve as lawbreakers. We deserve the judgment of God. And guess what? Standing on our own deeds and righteousness, we will be judged guilty. None of us obey the law of God that we claim to love and follow. I don't, you don't, we try, but we fail. At the start of the sermon, I read this quote from the end of Saving Private Ryan. I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I've learned what all I've earned what all of you have done for me. Tell me I've led a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. These words at the end of Saving Private Ryan are the greatest tragedy that a man could ever speak. Apart from Jesus, these words are hopeless and sad because they show our inability to be good enough. So today as we end, I want to leave you with some good news and some hope. The hope that you have today is in Jesus. You see, he was the one person who followed God's law to perfection. He did it perfectly. He glorified God with his every thought and action, with his every word and deed. He then went willingly and died a criminal's death on a cross to purchase forgiveness for you and for me. He lived the life that you and I couldn't. He died the death we deserve because he loved us. Jesus loves people like you and me. The good news is if you're in Christ today, you have the good hand of God on you just like Ezra did. Your biggest problem that you could ever have has been taken care of on the cross of Christ. The penalty from breaking the law has been removed. And that's good news to us lawbreakers. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of Jesus, we are now free to obey God's law like Ezra. Because of Jesus, we too have the good hand of our God on us. So Christian, rest in the gospel. Rest in the reality that Christ obeyed perfectly on your behalf. The comfort of the gospel is that Jesus is enough. You don't have to worry or fret if you've earned God's favor. 
Rest in the work of Christ and His perfect obedience. And if you do, you will have the good hand of the Lord on you just like Ezra did. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for your law. Thank you that your law is good and that it, that it points to what righteousness looks like. But Father, we're thankful for Christ. We're thankful that because of Christ and his perfect obedience and his, his death and burial and resurrection and the good news that it brings to us that we can be called sons of God. So we pray that this would be our motivation today to follow you because you have loved us first. So we just ask that you would bless us as we go our separate ways today. In Christ's name, amen. Please stand for the benediction. The benediction today comes from Jude, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To our only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. You are dismissed.